but the people who know their God will display strength and will take action. Let me tell you sometimes, sometimes when you are facing evil, sometimes when the wicked enemy comes in like a flood, sometimes people, the people of God have to stand up and take a stand. And that's what these people did. The people who knew their God. See, but you got to know God. You got to know God is a mighty God. You got to know God is a great God. You got to know he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Glory to God. So something's about to jump off because the people who knew their God were about to uh, display strength and take action. YouTube, podcast land, Facebook land, and all of that. God bless you and keep you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. We're here with you one more time with a very exciting episode. I'm telling you, you are going to enjoy this one. How many of you know, well, let me just say this. We are now in the midst of a celebration that the Jews keep annually called Hanukkah. As a matter of fact, it started on the uh, 7th of December. We're actually four days into the Hanukkah celebration is for eight days. But how many of you know there is actually an end time eschatological connection to the holiday Hanukkah to the end time? Oh, glory to God. A lot of you didn't know that, right? <laughs> but it actually is. And so at this time, we're going to get into our lesson and we're going to actually delve into the connection between Hanukkah and end time prophecy. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, Lord God, for waking us up this morning and starting us on our way. We ask you, Lord God, and thank you for your uh, the power that's in your resurrection, your blood sacrifice, Lord God. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, for the redemption of our sins, ladies, uh, Lord God. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. We're asking you, Lord God, to bless everyone that is listening to this podcast or viewing it, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Bless them and keep them and their families, their safety and their well-being, Lord God. Bless them, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Open our hearts and our minds so that we may understand the word of God as it's being presented today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Listen, I'm again, I'm excited to uh, 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 provide this lesson for you, uh, but I just wanted to make a, an announcement also about my upcoming commentary. I've got a commentary coming out on the book of Revelation. Uh, it should be going to the editor sometime early next year, and then it should be out by, I, I'm thinking about second quarter of next year, but it's going to be a commentary unlike any other that on the book of Revelation is actually going to be written from a pre-wrath 
perspective and you're going to see why uh, glory to God this commentary is very special there's gonna there's none like it glory to God and you're really really gonna enjoy it I wrote it for a lay person but it is a detailed it's dense in areas because there's a lot of research and all of that that I included in it this uh, commentary is 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 uh, it's going to be one that answers a lot of questions and plus I put a lot of other information in it as well. I uniquely unite the New Testament with the book of Revelation. Dispensationalists can tend to compartmentalize Revelation away from the New Testament. That's not what I do. I connect it all because, ladies and gentlemen, it's all one Bible. It's all one revelation. It comes from the same God. We shouldn't be separating things out. Why would God give the book of Revelation to the church, but then it did not apply to the church? Come that doesn't make sense so in my commentary we take a completely different approach to the whole thing and you're gonna love it I will keep you informed when it's gonna come out in Jesus's name so at this time let us go ahead and get ready for our lesson what we're gonna be dealing with again is the Hanukkah connection to end-time prophecy the Hanukkah connection to end-time prophecy and so this year, Hanukkah, actually, again, like I said earlier, uh, in 2023, it began on December 7th, and it's going to run through uh, December 15th. Glory to God. And so, uh, like I said, we're four days into that celebration. Now, this is the, basically the, defini the definition. Hanukkah, the eight-day feast of dedication, or Feast of Lights celebrating the reconsecration of the temple, excuse me, in Jerusalem, around 165, 164 BC. Hanukkah is the only major Jewish festival that does not originate in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. It commemorates an event described outside of the Bible but outlined extensively in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. And we're going to get into what 1st and 2nd Maccabees is here in a second. And so, continuing on, otherwise, Hanukkah is mentioned only once in the New Testament when the festival coincided with Jesus' visit to Jerusalem. Now, uh, uh, John 10.22 uh, actually talks about that, okay? Hanukkah begins on the 21st, 25th day of the month of Keslev, uh, 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 Keslev, which is roughly our December, November, December, but more of a December. That's why uh, uh, Hanukkah is always in December, okay, and includes important rituals with lights and branches, and all of which are also a part of the Festival of Tabernacles. And so that uh, definition come, actually comes from the Lexham Bible Dictionary uh, in Jesus' name. So we just wanted to uh, lay some groundwork as to what Hanukkah actually is. Now, here's the interesting thing. The temple was being rededicated. The temple was being rededicated. Okay. The question is, what happened to cause the temple to be rededicated again. That, that, that is what's really, really important. What 
happen? So if the if the celebration is about the rededication, what happened in history to cause the temple to be rededicated? What were the events that led up to that? That's what we have to get into because this is where end time prophecy and some prominent figures in the history of Israel factor in to events that's going to be connected to the future. And so this is why it's important. And it's interesting how Hanukkah is a preview. You know, the, the fact that the Jews celebrate Hanukkah and the connection to why they celebrate it actually has a foreshadowing of end time events. But most Christians don't know that. And the Jews uh, that celebrate Hanukkah are certainly aren't interested in it because they don't believe in Christ. Glory to God. They don't believe in the second coming of Christ in the sense that we do and all of the events that we find written in the New Testament. So this is a interesting uh, aspect. And so this is the question. So what caused the temple to be rededicated? And that's what we have to find out historically what's really going on here. Now, in the book of Daniel, we need to, to, to the book of Daniel here because the book of Daniel is very key in understanding, un unraveling this mystery. What I'm going to read to you is Daniel uh, 7. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of four empires that were likened to animals. The first was like a, a, a lion. The second one was like a bear. The third one was like a leopard. The fourth one was a nondescript beast with iron teeth and all of that and ten horns and iron nails and all of that. And so these four beasts actually represented four Gentile kingdoms. Now, the prophecies of Daniel give us an outline of Gentile world powers that are key players in God's overall prophetic, apocalyptic, eschatological program and how he's going to bring about his son coming back as king of king and lords of lords. So all of this information is necessary because it builds the, it, it, it lays the foundation and builds the, it's the steps that lead to a the second coming of the Lord. So now, in Daniel chapter 7, verse number 6, as I read, it says, After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, okay? And on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Now, this is very interesting. Again, this is apocalyptic imagery of a nation. And this nation, ladies and gentlemen, we know as the nation or the Macedonian Empire or the Grecian Empire. Okay, now, the eighth verse, it says, the goat became very great. This is another, this is another vision. But it's another vision, uh, it's the first of all, in uh, Daniel chapter 7, the four animals were, again, it was a lion, glory to God, it was a bear, it was a leopard, and it was a nondescript beast. All four of those uh, uh, 
beasts represented kingdoms. The lion was Babylon, the bear was Medo-Persia, the leopard was Greece, the nondescript, ugly, monstrous beast was Rome, okay? Now, in this section, we're going to Daniel chapter number eight, and it's going to give us a little bit more information, but now it talks about this same Grecian empire, but it talks about it in a different way. And if, if verse, verse number eight, it says, the goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off and in its place, four prominent horns, four horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. Now the beautiful land there, ladies and gentlemen, is the land of Israel. Glory to God is the land of Israel. So now we we are in Daniel's day. Daniel is writing in the in the it's 500 something BC, uh, 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 and so uh, he went over in 605 BC, 607 BC. But Daniel but Daniel stayed there the 70 years. Daniel never did go back to Israel. Daniel died in Babylon. So he lived to old man. So by the time he's writing these prophecies, we're already in the 500, five, uh, fifth century uh, BC. And so Israel was already a nation, already living in the land of this Palestine, the Canaan land. Israel has been living there. All this stuff about Israel just now coming back in 1948. It was a return, but it was their land from a long, long ago. Glory to God. So they were already living there. But anyway, so the goat became very great now the goat here ladies and gentlemen is the kingdom of greece we're talking about the kingdom of greece because the kingdom of greece is very important it says the goat became very great but at the height of its power the horn was broken off of it so it's a it's a, it's a goat with a horn now the horn of this goat is talking about alexander the great okay and in its place and alexander the great suddenly died uh, and in his early 30s of uh, malaria and alcoholism was a combination. He just dropped dead, okay, at a very early. Now, after he died, his kingdom was split up into four parts under his four generals, and we're going to get into that. Okay, but and then it says, out of one of them came up another horn, which started small but grew power, but grew in power to the south and to the east, to the north and to the beautiful land. So it's another horn. So it's Alexander the Great, his horn was broken. Up in its place, four, four generals came up. They became four rulers or and they split the Macedonian Empire in four parts. Out of one of these four, another little horn came up. And he was very powerful, and he moved towards the south, which is Egypt, to the east, and towards the beautiful land, which is Israel. Okay? So now, again, so after the death of Alexander the Great, his empire was divided amongst his four generals. These are the four generals, Ptolemy, Lysimachus, Cassander, and Seleucus. Seleucus is the one that's most important here. He's most important, okay? From Seleucus line came a line of kings 
And eventually we get to a king of Syria. He was the king of Syria by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. So now, after the death of Alexander the Great, he was the horn that was broken off. Up in his place came four horns. His kingdom was then divided amongst his four generals. Out of one of those horns was Seleucus. From Seleucus then came a line of kings, the one of them being Antiochus Epiphanes. And in Daniel chapter 8, he was the other horn who came up. It moved towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It's Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of Syria, ladies and gentlemen. So let's continue in our lesson. Antiochus Epiphanes IV, a Seleucid ruler who outlawed Judaism in an attempt to Hellenize Judea. Hellenize means convert to Greek philosophy and religion and all of that. That's what Hellenize means. It means uh, uh, um, uh, to turn to uh, towards uh, the, a Greek way, a Greek worldview, a Greek mindset, and all of that along with their religion. So he was trying to stamp out Judaism, glory to God, and tried to Hellenize him. Now, Hellenize Israel. So he reigned from 175 BC to 164 BC. Now remember, uh, in the BCs, the numbers are going down. So you start out with a big number like 2000 BC, then you go to 1500 BC and 1100 BC and 500 BC, you're heading towards zero. And that zero basically uh, is, is, is where the birth of Christ is. And that's where you go from BC to AD or BCE to ACE and all, and all you know, they, they change the designations now and all of that. But that's how all that goes. So that's why it says he ruled from 175 BC to 164. Okay, now, the Macedonian, so then the Maccabean revolt arose in reaction to Antiochus sacrificing Zeus, sacrificing to Zeus in the temple, an event known as the abomination of desolation. Now, this is key, ladies and gentlemen, because Daniel then picks this up in Daniel 11.31. So let me say that again. Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a Syrian king, glory to God. He was a, uh, uh, he hated the Jews, glory to God. He did a lot of very wicked things. One of the things he did is he erected a statue, a idol of Zeus and put it in the temple, glory to God. And that action is known as the abomination of desolation. Okay, so again, that's found in Daniel 11:31. Now, Antiochus IV assigned himself the title Epiphanes. Now, what Epiphanes means is manifested as God. He saw himself as a manifestation of God. Late in his life, as attested on his coinage, you know, he made coins and he called himself Epiphanes, and Epiphanes means manifested as God. However, uh, Polybius assigned him the nickname Epiphanes, which means utterly mad. The historian uh, uh, Polybius and Dasorius and all of these other ones also saw uh, um, 
Antiochus Epiphanes is a highly unstable person. Obviously, if you call yourself God, you crazy, and you sure got problems if you go into the temple in Israel and erect the statue of Zeus and make people worship Zeus in the temple. And so this is what is basically called the abomination of death, excuse me, of desolation. Okay, now, so let's keep going. So now let's look at Daniel 8, 8 through 11 in the NIV, because it's important. Okay, it's referring now to Antiochus Epiphanes, but it's referring to him with the uh, uh, in, in terms of it. And the reason why it's talking about it, because it's talking about the horn. Okay, and then it says it grew until it reached the host of heaven and, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away, now listen to this language, it took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. And so in other words, Israel had, uh, had, had after that 70 years of being in Babylon, and now they're out of Babylon and all that, they went into backsliding again. So because of their rebellion, God used Antiochus Epiphanes to come in and do the things that he did. Now, God always used uh, 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 heathen he nations to smite Israel whenever they messed up. And so now this is one of the cases where it says that. It says, because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. The it there is Antiochus Epiphanes. It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown down to the ground. Now, one of the things about Antiochus Epiphanes was he was a slickster. He knew how to make a, to work a lie. And, 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 and once truth is thrown down, ladies and gentlemen, people don't know what to believe and they'll believe anything. This was Antiochus Epiphanes Forte. He mastered the art of lying and being a liar. Glory to God. <laughs> Sound familiar? But anyway, so, and, and then the Bible even says, and truth was thrown to the ground. So whenever you get into a society or a political or, or, array when all, all truth is thrown out of the window, you, you're, you're headed to some very, very rocky shores. And this is what the Jews face under Antiochus Epiphanes. So now, let's go, now we're going to move over to Daniel 11 because it keeps talking about Antiochus here. This is verse number 30. It says, therefore, he will be disheartened and he will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. Now, what had happened is, remember, Alexander the Great, uh, uh, after he died, his kingdom was divided up amongst his four generals. Another important general who became a king, just like the Seleucids did, was Ptolemy, but Ptolemy was in the south, okay? He controlled Egypt in that region. What happened is, is Antiochus Epiphanes wanted to go down there and whoop up on him and take his kingdom from him, but what happened is Rome 
by this time got involved and Ptolemy and, and Seleucid and Tychus Epiphanes did not want to try to take over Ptolemy in Egypt and then have to deal with Rome too. So when he heard Rome was getting in it, he turned back. He said, no, I, I can't deal with this. So he came back to the glorious land, Israel, and said, and took his fury out on Israel. So this is what happened. Therefore, he was disheartened and will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. So the Holy Covenant here is, ladies and gentlemen, the Mosaic Covenant that guard, that, that, that guided Israel in their liturgical worship, the Mosaic Law, the Levitical priesthood, how they worship in the temple. That's the covenant that is mentioned here. So what he did in Tychus Epiphanes, he got mad and he said, I'm turning these people over to Greek philosophy and we're going to throw down all of this Judaism stuff and this Holy Covenant that they got the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, so so he so he will come back and show regard for those who will forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary of forces, and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation by smooth words. He will turn. He will turn godly. Uh, a godlessness, those who act wickedly towards the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and action. Okay, now let me break this down. So there were, and the, always you got traitors amongst you. You always got traitors. So when Antiochus Epiphanes, because he was the king of Syria, Syria was controlling Jerusalem at this time. They were under their they were under their auspices, and this is why to this day, ladies and gentlemen, Syria and Israel are enemies. Ladies and gentlemen, none of these conflicts that you see in the Middle East are happening in a vacuum. This stuff has been going on thousands of years, thousands of years. So, I mean, it's not new, but it's new to us in the 21st century. Uh, we're looking at things from a 21st century perspective without a historical perspective. So now we're jumping in in the middle of something and taking the wrong side. But ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. Glory to God. So when 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 Antiochus came to, to do what he wanted to do in Jerusalem and Israel, there were those Jews that went with him. They, you know, they forsake the Holy Covenant and all of them. Some of the Jews went with him because they were scared to die. This guy was killing people. And so, so you had some that hooked up with him and those that did hook up with him, he rewarded. But uh, uh, so verse 32 again, so by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant. In other words, those who agreed with him to go against the Mosaic covenant to uh, assist him in Hellenizing the Jews, glory to God, turning them to the Greek way of thing, the Greek worldview. But it says right here on the bottom, it says, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. This is a very important statement, ladies and gentlemen, because it tells you that something was about to jump off in Israel, and it did. Glory to God. So now, 
This uh, I just want to reemphasize this last part of this Daniel eleven thirty two. It says, "But the people who know their God will display strength and will take action." Let me tell you, sometimes, sometimes when you are facing evil, sometimes when the wicked enemy comes in like a flood, sometimes people, the people of God, have to stand up and take a stand, and that's what these people did. The people who knew their God. See, but you got to know God. You got to know God is a mighty God. You got to know God is a great God. You got to know he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Glory to God. So something's about to jump off because the people who knew their God were about to uh, display strength and take action. This is what happened. So now, glory to God. So now what we have to do, we have to leave the pages of our Bible and we have to go to the Apocrypha and the Apocrypha ladies and gentlemen is found it's about 14 uh, books but it's not found in the Protestant Bibles it's not the Protestant Bibles do not have an Apocrypha the Bible the people the, the group of uh, 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 the Bible that does have the Apocrypha is the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and that's the Bible that basically the Catholics use. So the Protestants don't, you have a, have a Bible with the Apocrypha in it, but the Catholic Bible does, and that's in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. So this is why I have it here. So it's not technically true to say the Apocrypha is not in the Bible. It just depends on which version of the Bible. If you've got a Revised Standard Version, it's in there. If you don't have it, it's not in there. Uh, some of the older King James versions had an Apocrypha, but most don't now today. But uh, the Apocryphas are available. Like I say, you just go to any Bible bookstore and uh, a Christian bookstore and you can buy a Revised, revised Standard Version. If you get a Revised Standard Version, uh, it, it will have the Apocrypha. The, the Protestant Bible stops with Malachi, picks back up with Matthew, and that's not the case. Uh, the apocryphal, all those apocryphal books would be in between those two, Malachi and Matthew. So that's why the Catholics have them and the Protestants don't. But listen, but, but, but Maccabees, the book of Maccabees speaks about the people who knew their God that rose up against Antiochus. So we're going to read about that. And also the, the apocryphal was not considered by the, uh, uh, by the Protestants as being inspired. They had historical significance as we will we will read here, but they were they were not included in the canon of scriptures for the uh, uh, the the books that we have today. Uh, glory to God. So first Maccabees. 162 and 63 from the new revised standard version. This is what it says. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by fuel food or profane the holy covenant. And they did die. So there was many just say, kill me because I'm not going to do it. Throw me in the fire, cut my head off. Glory to God in the name of Jesus. And that's what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He did exactly that. He killed tens of thousands of Jews. Glory to God. This guy was this guy was brutal. So now we're going to get into the Maccabean revolt because these people ended up revolting against Antiochus Epiphanes. The great, first of all, he desecrated their temple. This is the account of the desecration of the temple. He says, now, in 1st Maccabees uh, chapter 1 verses 44 through 50, revised, New Revised Standard Version, this is what it says. And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. He directed them to follow the customs 
strange to the land to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane the Sabbaths and the festivals, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and other unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable in everything unclean and profane so that they would forget the law and change all of the ordinances. He added, and whoever does not obey the commands of the king shall die. So this is what Israel was faced with. They were faced with Antiochus Epiphanes IV, that little horn that grew up out of one of them four horns after Alexander the Great died. Now this guy came from the Seleucid line, and from the Seleucid line comes Antiochus Epiphanes, king of Syria. This guy came, he said, I'm going to make, I'm going to change Judah. I'm going to stop him from worshiping. I'm going to stop him from reading the Torah. I'm going to stop him from sacrificing their kids, uh, uh, circumcising their kids. I'm going to take, I'm going to take pigs, the unclean animals, take them on the altar, sacrifice, make them sacrifice unclean animals on the altar. I'm going to change every ordinance that they have up. Glory to God. So this is what he was trying to do. Some of the Jews, because of fear of death, went along and they compromised with him. But the people that knew that God, <laughs> hallelujah, they began to take action. Glory to God. They took action, boy. So this is the desecration of the temple. Now, on the 15th day of Cheslev, in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offerings. Uh-oh. This desecrating sacrilege, ladies and gentlemen, was a statue of an idol, the idol Zeus. Glory to God. They put Zeus in the most holy place and sacrificed to him. They also built out altars surrounding the towns of Judah. They offered incense at the doors of the houses in the streets. The books of the law that they found, they tore into pieces and burnt them with fire. Anyone found possessing the book of the covenant or anyone adhered to the law was condemned to death by decree of the king. So this is what Israel was facing. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus, again, the desolating sacrifice was erecting an idol, a statue of Zeus in the most holy place in the temple. Glory to God. This guy was ruthless, boy. He was ruthless. He was trying to undo the whole nine yards. Verse number 60, First Maccabees. It says, according to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised. They killed the mothers. Okay, and their and their families and those who circumcised them, they killed all of them. And check this out. And then they hung the infants from the mother's necks. Glory to God. Now just th think of this. They're going to kill the mama, but first the babies that were second, they killed them babies. Hung the dead baby from the mother's neck, killed the mother and killed their family and killed the priest that did the circumcision. They wiped him out. Glory to God. He killed tens of thousands of people. Glory to God. This entire epiphanous is something else. Glory to God. But he's a type 
of another king that's coming. Oh, glory to God. He ain't got here yet, but he's coming. Glory to God. So now, again, I just want to throw this theme out here because it's a good thing. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. I just want that to get in your spirit in the name of Jesus because that's powerful right there. That's powerful right there. How Daniel tells the story in apocalyptic imagery. But see, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. When Daniel wrote this prophecy in about the 500 BC, this hadn't happened yet. Antiochus Epiphanes didn't come till 175 BC when he was in the game. This is hundreds of years after Daniel had already died. Daniel's prophecy here, ladies and gentlemen, is so accurate that critical scholars, uh, textual critics of the Bible say that Daniel couldn't, Daniel the prophet could not have wrote it, written this, uh, these prophecies because it had to be written by somebody else called Daniel because the prophecies were too accurate. So they're saying that this couldn't be inspired because they didn't believe in inspiration. And some of these people teach in seminaries, I don't know, some of these liberal seminaries, they, you got guys who said that Daniel is not, Daniel, uh, 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 the prophet Daniel didn't write Daniel because his prophecies were too perfect and had to be written by someone after the fact. That's a lie. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel wrote this prophecy. It was prophecy in Daniel's day. Antiochus Epiphanes didn't come along for, for about 200 or more years after Daniel was already dead. Glory to God. But we're getting back to this thing. But the people who knew their God, when Antiochus Epiphanes came in and started doing all that crazy stuff, it, it some people did compromise. You always going to have cowards. You always going to have people that turn back. Glory to God. But there were some who stood up strong and said, uh-uh, we're not taking this sitting down. And so this is what happened. It caused what is called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabees. Glory to God. So then it says, First Maccabees, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. It says, then his son Judas was called Maccabeus. That's the way it was. He took command of his place. The Judas Maccabeus, that name means the hammer. Glory to God. <laughs> Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. In case didn't nobody get the memo, do not mess with Israel. Just listen. I'm just throwing this in for free. After we get past this October 7th thing and Israel wiping out, go trying to wipe out Hamas, glory to God, and devastating Palestine in the process, okay, Gaza, designating, uh, 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 devastating Gaza in the process, everybody be on notice. Do not mess with Israel. Leave them people alone. Because if you hit them with a fly swatter, you know what they're going to do? They're going to come back with a sludge hammer. But they've always had to do this. They've always been in conflicts. They've always been in wars. Glory to God. That's how they do it. So I know, I know this is strange to us in the 21st century, but you need to understand the history. And this is why God gave us the Old Testament so we can understand some of these conflicts and battles that Israel's been in. It's been happening for a long time. This is not new. Glory to God. All right, so let me get back to what I was saying. That's free. Uh, that's parenthetical. <laughs> then Judas, his son, who was called Maccabeus, took command in his place. And his brothers and all who had joined his father helped him. And they gladly fought for Israel. Come on. Come on, Judas Maccabeus. <laughs> Verse 36. Then Judas and his brothers said, see, so long story short, because I can't tell the whole thing. 
Long story short, they rose up, they defeated the Syrian army, they ran Antiochus and all them out of there. They ran them out, they said, man, y'all done messed around and desecrated our temple? Uh-uh, I don't care. Some of, you know, you, some of y'all, some of these people traded, but they rose up against, and they defeated them, they defeated them, they ran them out, okay? Then Judas and his brother said, see, our enemies are crushed. Let us go to cleanse the sanctuary and to dedicate it. So all of the army assembled and went up to Mount Zion. And there they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profane, the gates burned. In the courts they saw the bushes sprung up as, it, as, as in a thicket or as on the mountains. So it had been overgrown with vegetation and all that, with weeds and bushes and stuff. And they saw the chambers of the priests in ruins and they tore their clothes and mourned with a great lamentation and they sprinkled themselves with ashes and they, and they, fell, uh, they fell face down on the ground. And when the a signal was given with the trumpets, they cried out to heaven, glory to God. So they lift up a great lamentation when they see what this wicked king had did to their glorious land in the name of Jesus. And so now the story keeps going. So now the temple gets restored. Okay, so they rebuilt the sanctuary. So this is 1 Maccabees 4, 48-50. So they rebuilt the sanctuary and the interior of the temple. So the, so the, so the Syrians, so King uh, uh, Antiochus did not destroy the temple, but they, they messed it up. So they had to go in and restore it, okay? So they rebuilt the sanctuary, not rebuilt the temple, the sanctuary and the interior of the temple and consecrated the courts. And they made new holy vessels and they brought out lampstands and the altar of incense and the table uh, and the table into the temple. They offered incense on the altar and they lit lamps on the lampstand and these gave light in the temple glory to god oh glory to god See, they gave light in the temple glory to god and so these lamps are going to become key in the hanukkah celebration for the lamps and that's why it's also called the celebration of lights but we're actually going to get into uh, uh what that means so this is why Hanukkah is actually called, not only is it the, re the dedication of the temple, but it's also called the festival of lights. Glory to God. So now, this is called the menorah. A menorah is a nine uh, arm lampstand or candle stand. Uh, glory to God. It was a lampstand back in the days because they used, they used the oil. Glory to God for the menorah celebration. Now, Hanukkah only has eight days, but notice it's nine candles there. The candle in the middle was lit so as it would give light for the other candles to be lit as you went on the eight days. And so now a tradition has, as tradition has it, it was only one day's worth of oil. But that one day of oil miraculously lasted for eight days. That's why the, uh, the Hanukkah menorah has nine arms, like I said, and because one of those candles has to stay lit. And that's why it is also called the festival of the festival of lights because it's celebration celebrating the miracle of Hanukkah, how God kept the oil lit during the entire eight days. Okay, glory to God. So now the temple gets rededicated. 
Now, this is uh, uh, the account from Maccabees again. Early in the morning on the 25th day of the ninth month. Now, that month is Cheslev. The Jewish calendar does not start in January like we do, okay? And the Cheslev is like our December, okay? So this is why Hanukkah's always in December during the winter, okay? Now listen to the day that it happened on in the morning of the 25th day of the month. Now, what, what day sounds familiar to us at the 25th day of December? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just reading to you what happened. Glory to God, <laughs> this is very interesting. In the 148th year, they rose up and offered sacrifice as the law directs and on the new altar of burnt offerings, which they had built. The, at the very season and on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it. Now, this was the same day that Antiochus Epiphanes attacked and ruined it. They turned, flipped it around, defeated the Syrians, ran Antiochus and his crazy self and his army out of Jerusalem, got him out of the Holy Land. They rededicated everything. And on the day that it was profaned, they turned around and said, uh-uh, we're going to celebrate this day and when we rededicate it. Okay? So, uh, uh, at that very season and on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it, it was dedicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. And all the people fell on their faces and worshiped and blessed heaven who had prospered them. Oh, glory to God. They really, really enjoyed themselves. Verse 56. And so they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days and they joyfully offered burnt offerings and they offered a sacrifice of well-being and thanksgiving and offering. Glory to God. So this is where you get you get uh, the eight days. Now, this is when Hanukkah was instituted. Glory to God. Then Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at that season, the days of dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month on Cheslev. Glory to God. So that's 1 Maccabees. 459 uh, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Now, over 140 years later, Jesus was born. So this happened 140 years before before Jesus even was was even uh, uh, was even born, incarnated as, as, as the Word of God manifested in the flesh. Glory to God. The Jews were already living in that land, ladies and gentlemen, before Jesus was living. They've been there. Glory to God. So it's not like they, somebody moved in, they took something for the past. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the world is saying. You need to know the biblical history. Glory to God. Now, 140 years later, Jesus went to the temple on Hanukkah, and we actually see this in John, glory to God, 10, 22 and 23. This is what it says. And at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking into the temple at the portico of Solomon. So Jesus went to the temple on Hanukkah, because that's what Jews did. By this time, it had been celebrated well over 100 years. By this, by the time, by Jesus' day, so it's well entrenched in uh, uh, the Jewish uh, society as it is to this day. Glory to God. All right, now, some versions actually say 
It's Hanukkah, like the New Living Translation. Look at the reading from the New Living Translation. It said, it was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. So now we understand Jesus went to the temple of Hanukkah, doing Hanukkah, because Jews by that time all celebrated Hanukkah as they do to this day. Glory to God. So the signs of the end. So now that we have covered this, that's why I was asking the question. We understand that Hanukkah meant the dead rededication of the temple. But the question is, is why did they need to rededicate it? Now we find out the Bible prophesied by Daniel that there would come a king that after Alexander the Great was, uh, was his horn was cut off, four horns would come up and replace him. Out of one of those horns would come another, the Seleucid line would come another horn, which is a king, which would become Antiochus Epiphanes IV. It was Antiochus Epiphanes IV that tried to take away the daily sacrifice, desecrated the temple, set up the abomination of desolation, which was sacrificing pigs on the altar and erecting a statue of Zeus, an idol, in the most holy place and making people worship. Glory to God. So this, that's the abomination of desolation that Antiochus Epiphanes did. This is why the Jews, and he, they, he defamed and desecrated their temple. The people who knew their God turned out to be, even though Daniel didn't call him the Maccabees, because you had to understand, when Daniel wrote this prophecy, this hadn't happened yet. It wouldn't come along for hundreds of years later. So, But Daniel did say the people who knew their God and the people who knew their God were the Maccabees, were the Maccabees who remained faithful to the covenant of Israel, who were not the backsliders that went along with Antiochus Epiphanes to uh, save their lives, save their skins. But these are the people who was willing to die. They rose up, they put them out, they rededicated the temple after this foul Gentile came and desecrated it. Now, this is why Antiochus Epiphanes is important. He's important. Because this is what Jesus said. Now we are in Jesus' ministry. He's already started his ministry. He's near the end of his ministry. He's on the Mount of Olivet giving his disciples the signs of his second coming. And then Jesus said these words, Matthew 24, verse number 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, aha! Jesus is now connecting us back to go to Daniel to read about the abomination of desolation. But in Daniel, it's two of them, not one. The first abomination of desolation, which serves as a type he, it, it, what Antiochus Epiphanes do, did sets up as a type for something else that's going to come in the future that is close, going to be, that's going to cause Jesus to come back as, a, as, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this is why Jesus is saying, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. This is what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He erected the statue of Zeus in the holy place. So Jesus says, when you see that, but you got to go back to Daniel to know what I'm talking about. So now Jesus is not saying 
that's that the Antiochus Epiphanes was the fulfillment. He is a type. But now Jesus is talking about the signs of his second coming or what's going to happen near the end of the age. There's going to be another abomination of desolation. But Antiochus Epiphanes is the type of what we know the person as the beast, Revelation 13, or the Antichrist, 1 John chapter 2 and 3, where uh, the Apostle John calls him the Antichrist. Now, after the abomination of desolation is put in place, then Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not has occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will ever will. So that means when Jesus is saying this, this abomination, he's saying when this one happens, it's going to cause a great tribulation. And this time has never happened before. So therefore, Jesus is not talking about the abomination of desolation that Antiochus did. As, as the one, as the only one, Jesus is saying, no, when you see that the second abomination of desolation is going to kick off a time of trouble that has never been before. So you, he, he couldn't be mean and tag his because he said, this is going to kick off a time and a, 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 a urgency in earth's history that has never occurred in earth's history, nor will ever occur again. That's going to be when the Antichrist comes and does this abomination. So therefore, the first abomination of desolation was first committed by Antiochus Epiphanes, king of Syria. It's approximately 140 years before the Lord was born. Daniel's chapter 8 and 11 cover his career. Antiochus Epiphanes. But then chapter 11 switches to the future. And so this is why you have to understand. And this is why Jesus was saying, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let him that have under let him that have understanding uh, read it. Let him that read it and have understanding. So this is God has gifted certain people to be able to understand all of this, all of this stuff. This is why I'm teaching you because I'm sure most of you out there have never heard this part about Hanukkah. You don't know nothing about this part, but it's important. And the fact that the Jews are still keeping Hanukkah is a testimony to what Antiochus did and proof that the Antichrist is coming, who is going to do the same thing that Antiochus did, but he's going to do worse. Glory to God. Okay, now, so the first abomination of desolation foreshadows or is a type of the second abomination that is yet to come that was spoken of Daniel during Daniel 9.27. Now we're getting into the, what is called the 70th week of Daniel. And I don't have time to break all this down, but it's the final seven years of this age. Glory to God. It's the final, so it's called Daniel's 70th week. But you've got to read Daniel chapter 9 to get that knowledge. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, it doesn't talk about Antiochus anymore. They've already laid the groundwork for the, the second abomination of desolation that is, that is going to come by giving you the history of Antiochus in chapters 11, uh, 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 8 and 11. But now in chapter 9, you're getting the career of the future abomination of desolation that's going to be committed by the Antichrist. This is what it says. Verse 927, and he, in parentheses I have, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with many for one week, 
Now this firm covenant, ladies and gentlemen, is believed to be a peace treaty. It's believed to be a peace treaty that the Antichrist is gonna make because he's gonna be just like Antiochus. Antiochus came in with flatteries. And he lied and said, hey, y'all, the army that I'm bringing, oh, I'm just bringing that to help y'all out, you know. And he and he obtained, he obtained it by flight. He was a liar, okay. But when them troops came in, they wasn't there to help him. They was over there to take it over and, and to destroy it. So what happens is Antichrist is going to come and he's going to make a peace treaty. Now, why is this peace treaty going to come? Because you got conflicts like the one that you got in Israel right now. All of the world, notice all of the world except for the United States and part of people in the United States, even in our own government, is beginning to turn on Israel. So what's happening is, is the whole planet is being lined up against Israel and everybody is going to hate Israel. But let me just say this real quick. Let me just throw this in for free. This is another parenthetical one. What was Israel doing prior to uh, October 7th? Were they, were, they, were, they, were they devastating Gaza? Were they blowing up stuff? Did they send their army in? Were they doing that? No, they weren't doing that. They were minding their own business. They were having a celebration and everything. What, what Israel has been attempting to do is make peace with the Arab nations. That's what the Abraham Accords is. They had just signed a peace treaty with uh, uh, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, I think Jordan and Jordan, and then they were, and then then they brought on Sudan, Sudan, a North African nation that had just signed with them, and they were working on the treaty with Saudi Arabia. So so Israel was in the process of setting up a peace agreement. Then all of a sudden, October seventh came, Hamas attacked Hamas mingled in with the Palestinians. They knew exactly what Israel was going to do because Israel's been doing the same thing for their entire history whenever they, they got attacked. And this isn't new. The Hamas knew exactly what they were going to do. And they knew when they responded that a lot of civilians, it was going to look really bad and the world was going to turn on Israel and they were hoping that the pressure from the world would cause Israel to stop. But let me tell you something, newsflash, Israel ain't listening to nobody. They are going to they are gonna keep going till they are satisfied they wipe Hamas out. And they're not going to listen to the United States. They're not going to listen to Russia. They're not going to listen to nobody. You hit them with a fly swatter. They're coming back with a mallet. This is how they've always done it. Newsflash from here on out. Do not mess with Israel. Just don't mess with them. Period. Just leave these people alone. Because when they respond, they don't play nice. Okay, now here's the other thing. Notice, what other Arab countries have sent troops over there to fight against Israel? None. None. Iran hasn't sent any troops. Egypt hasn't sent any troops. Jordan hasn't sent any troops. Lebanon hasn't sent any troops. Syria hasn't sent any troops. Saudi Arabia, none of these people, none of these people want to tangle with Israel. Israel got the baddest military over there. They have a lethal force. And not only that, not only that, they're backed by the United States. Not only that, Israel has nuclear weapons, ladies and gentlemen, and ain't none of them countries about to mess with them. 
They're not going to get in directly involved with them. They're, they're looking at Hamas and, and Iran are back them on the slide. All these people are back them on the slide, send them some aid, but they're not going to send none of their troops to bail out those Palestinians. They're not going to do that. Egypt didn't even want to open their borders and let the Palestinians in because they didn't want Hamas in Egypt. So, so while we're listening to this thing, what the world is saying, we better understand the people who know their God are going to do their exploits in Jesus' name. So Israel was actually working on the peace. They were in the midst of developing peace deals with the Arab nation. Then here come Hamas doing this. It, it derailed all of that. But eventually, there's going to come a guy who's no, who, who will eventually become the Antichrist. He's going to bring the covenant. And this is what Daniel 9.27 is saying. Daniel 9.27 is saying, and he will make a firm covenant with many for one week or for seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifice and the grain offerings. This is exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He stopped the offerings. He stopped all of that. Antichrist is going to do exactly the same thing as the Antiochus Epiphanes because Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist. Now nine, Daniel 9.27 is dealing with the real deal. This is the Antichrist. He's going to make the covenant of peace. Everybody's going to lay down their arms. They're going to be kumbaya. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that week, he's going to go in, look at that temple, declare himself to be God, just like in Tigers of Pippins. I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, this is what he's going to do. He will make a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the uh, sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of the abominations will come the one who makes desolate, even until the complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes it desolate. This is this is apocalyptic language saying the Antichrist is going to come in, make a peace deal. In the middle of it, he's going to break it. But he's going to set up the abomination of desolation. And we're going to see what that is, ladies and gentlemen. When this abomination occurs, it's going to trigger the great tribulation. That's what's going to trigger it. And this is why Antichrist and his armies and all of that are going to be gathered in Israel. That's what Armageddon is. Armageddon is fought in the plain of Megiddo. That's just north of Israel. That's in Israel. Ladies. Armageddon is in Israel. <laughs> all of this is about Israel. And guess what? Israel, them, them, Israel ain't going nowhere. They're going to be right there. I don't care what nobody says. I don't care who stands up against them. They are going to be there because that's the land that God promised Abraham. And when the Lord comes back, he's coming back. His feet is going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to rule the world during the millennium from Jerusalem. Glory to God. So y'all better get it together. Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist to come. Now, therefore, this is what Jesus said. When you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken uh, through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. This is what he's doing. He says, you got to go back to the, you got to go back to Daniel. Daniel speaks of Antiochus in 11, 30 through 31, and also 8, and other places. And he speaks of, Daniel also speaks of the Antichrist. Daniel 7, 24 through 26 and then Daniel 9.27. So now we're going to compare. We're going to do a comparison, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to do a comparison. 
we're going to show the things that Antiochus did, and we're going to match him with the Antichrist. Glory to God. Now notice this. I want you to see this. This is good. Antiochus Epiphanes' names mean manifest as God. The Antichrist declares himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Uh, uh, Thessalonians 2, 4. The Antiochus Epiphanes acted wickedly towards the Holy Covenant. The Antichrist breaks the seven-year covenant midway through. Antiochus Epiphanes took away the daily sacrifice, Daniel 11.31. The Antichrist would take away the daily sacrifice, Daniel 9.27. The Antiochus Epiphanes committed the abomination of desolation, Daniel 9.23. The Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24, 15, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 4, which we're going to look, with, look at later. Antiochus forced idol worship under the threat of death. 1 Maccabees 1, 54. The Antichrist forces people to worship the image of the beast or be killed. Revelation 13, 15. Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple. First Maccabees 1, 45-47. The Antichrist desecrates the temple, the rebuilt temple. Glory to God. Daniel 9, 27. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 4. Revelation 11, 2. Glory to God. Look at this. Side by side. The Antiochus Epiphanes, the Antichrist, Hanukkah in the middle, Hanukkah letting us know they rededicated from this guy, but you know what? The Bible tells us, uh-uh, there's another abomination of desolation coming. Glory to God. And it's going to be involving the Jews and the rest of the world, just like Antiochus, but there's another one coming. Glory to God. So that's why there's a connection between Hanukkah and end-time prophecy. This is what 2 Thessalonians says, ladies and gentlemen. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, talking about the day of the Lord. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Listen to verse number four, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, this is what the Antichrist is going to do. And this is the same thing Antiochus Epiphanes did. He named himself Epiphanes because it means be like God. This is not coincidental, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Bible and history talking in the name of Jesus. So the second aspect of the abomination of desolation. So not only does uh, Antichrist go into the temple and just sit on the throne and declare himself to be God, but he also makes an image. So just like Antiochus erected an image, the Antichrist is going to do the same thing. Glory to God. 
the image of the beast. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 12, verses 11 and 12. It says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. This is talking about the false prophet. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. That's Revelation uh, 13, 11 and 12. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of those signs which he had, was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast. Listen to this. Make an image to the beast who had the wound with the sword and came to light. And it was and it was given him, it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is exactly what Antiochus did. He demanded that they worship in that or be killed. This is the same thing the Antichrist does. This is why Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, Jesus is telling you there is a historic abomination of desolation that was created, that was done by Antiochus Epiphanes, who came out of the Greek line. Glory to God. Is he, he, he sets up as a type of the Antichrist that's going to come that Revelation 13 talks about. That's going to precede Christ right just a few years before the Christ returns in glory in Revelation 19. So, ladies and gentlemen, when the Jews celebrate Hanukkah, they are looking back to the victory bought by the Maccabean revolt over the tyranny of Antiochus Epiphanes who desecrated the second temple. Glory to God. The Jews were in their land. That was Canaan land. The land that God promised Abraham. However, they were scattered around the world in 70 AD after Jesus had died and resurrected. They were scattered. Glory to God. And this is what the covenant, just go back and look at this covenant. I want to share this before we close. Genesis chapter 17, verses 6 through 8, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and, it will, and I will be their God. Ladies and gentlemen, who lives in Canaan land today? What is Canaan land? Israel, Palestinians, Jordanians, and Assyria. That's Canaan, ladies and gentlemen. What we're seeing today is an ancient war that goes all the way back with ancient peoples. The peoples that are living over there now 
are the descendants of the ancient Canaanites. Glory to God. If you don't believe me, just, just look it up. Just look it up. Look, look up the genetic history of the Palestinians. These people are related to the Canaanites. This, this is what this is. Now, I'm not saying because they're Canaanites that they're not people and God don't love them. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying what the Bible says, God gave Israel that land. So everybody's talking about from the river to the sea and all of that. Israel ain't going nowhere. Okay, they're not. And I, I hope you got the memo. Do not mess with Israel. One of the cities that was in, Can that was in Canaan land was the city of Jericho. You know what Jericho is? Jericho is in the Western Bank. It's in Palestine, under Palestinian control. That's what Jordan, that's what the city of Jericho is. <laughs> Jesus was in Jericho in his day. That's because the Jews was already living there. This is, ladies and gentlemen, it's because people don't know their history and they don't know their Bible. They listen to the news. They get all the information from there. Listen, look at what it says, Luke 18, 35 through 38, in my closing. It says, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what was this. And they told him it was Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out to him saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew he was the son of David. David settled in the land of the Jebusites and renamed the city of Jebus, Jerusalem. But that's one of the cities that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter uh, uh, 12, I believe. Yeah, Genesis 12. He said, the Jebusite, glory to God. <laughs> uh, uh, Bathsheba was a Jebusite. She's of a, of a Canaanite tribe. The Canaan, the Canaanites had the Canaanites had a lot of different, a lot of different tribes. So, so all of this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, this is ancient history. Israel has been fighting this war a long time, and I don't care who tell them to slow down. That is not that Israel is not about to listen to let the United States tell them what to do. These are fights they've been fighting for centuries. Not about to let us tell them what to do. We can't control Israel. There ain't no need in blaming Biden. If, if the United States didn't send any more su financial support <laughs> to Israel, Israel are handling on their on their own. They would not stop fighting, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care what an American prayer anybody else said. They're not going to do that. Glory to God. They're going to fight for that land. Amen. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalms. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is what directs you in this life. The word of God is how we know the right path from the wrong path. Without a light on your path, how in the world are you supposed to know what's right and wrong? How are you going to discern without all of that? You have to know the scriptures. And that's why it says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, it's going to direct you in the right way. Glory to God. The whole world is going to line up against Israel. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to turn out good for people. And so this is why it says what it says in Psalms. Glory to God. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm going to leave you with this. May those who love you be secure. Listen to this now. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and my friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, 
I will seek your prosperity. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to what this passage is saying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. People better in the United States better be glad we back Israel. I know a lot of people are not going to like that. I know you're not going to like it. But I, I, I can't be worried about what people say. I'm going about what the word of God said. And I ask for me in my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to believe the biblical narrative in the biblical text. And I'm not taken down from that. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem symbolically here meaning Israel. May those who love you be secure. Listen to security for people that love Israel, that back them, that understand this is God's people. Now that doesn't mean Israel, everything that Israel does is right. Everything they do ain't right. They get they 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 human beings just like anybody else. They make mistakes, they do the wrong stuff. And nobody's saying that. I don't agree with every every little thing they do, you know. But in general, I'm gonna do what the Bible says. Pay for the pray, pay, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls. He said, this is, these are the benefits for uh, uh, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. You're going to be secure. There's going to be security in your walls for the sake of your family and all of that. Peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord, that God, I will seek your prosperity. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes my message on the connection between Hanukkah and end time prophecy. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Look out for my commentaries coming out next year, Lord willing, in the name of Jesus. We'll see you next time. God bless you. You must know the times, answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come.
Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.